The Why Me Project, an exclusive presentation of Faith Strong Today. Holly, I, what I love about this over the last five years is that we don't know a lot about anything. And so us having an opportunity to talk with uh, authors or athletes or producers or writers, we then learn a lot more coming out of this. Yeah, we absolutely do. Plus learning more about um, how people got to where they are. Because often we get a chance to see somebody in their mountaintops where things mm. are going really, really well. But there is a journey to get to that point. Actor, producer, director, writer extraordinaire, Kevin Downs, my friend, how are you? I'm good. And the good news is I don't know a lot about anything either. So I'll, uh, I'll fit right into your camp. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> I, th- I thought I heard somebody once say uh, a smart person realizes that they don't know anything. So maybe you and I fit in this boat. <laughs> it's, it's probably a big boat, I'm guessing. <laughs> so, uh, no, I, I, I learn daily that I, know, I don't know a lot about anything, especially when it comes to uh, viruses, apparently. So because, you know, you learn something new every day. We like to ask this skill testing question, Kevin, because we never know where it's going to go. Who are you and where did you come from? Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, my name is Kevin Downs. I think I came from my mother's womb. So there would be the answer to that question. But uh, no, I was uh, born and raised in uh, Central California. Uh, kind of the agricultural land of California, um, grew up uh, raising sheep and uh, next to cotton fields and corn fields. Mm-hmm. And how I got into making movies is anyone's guess. Um, but now I live in Orange County, California. Uh, I've been married 25 years, have three kids, eight, 12 and 13. They all love baseball. And um, uh, sunshine is apparently what I love because it's sunny here every day. So uh, I don't have the cold like you guys have. You got y'all are crazy where you're from. <laughs> crazy. You learn to live with what God gave you. <laughs> that, that sounds more like that sounds more like an excuse. I don't know. Hundred <laughs> percent. Absolutely. Like, you know, the wind. You know, it's a high of minus forty five today, and I'm going to. Mm-hmm learn to take what God has given me in this moment. I guess you really have no choice but to say that, do you? (laughs) I love that. But you grew up in an area where it was a little bit more rural as well. Um, What was life like growing up for you? Did it help you ground you a bit? Well, when I was a kid, we dreamed of snowstorms. I kid you not. It was like the best day ever would be the day it snowed. And when I turned 18, it never snowed. So Mm -hmm. that was quite um uh, it was just a downer to be honest so uh so you know you get it every day for nine months straight apparently um snowstorms and so you dream of sunshine and it probably never is sunny where you're at right so uh, you kind of have the opposite effect but um uh no i i actually what was your question because i actually completely forgot it (laughs) (laughs) i love it well you said you had sheep and you grew up in a bit more of a, a rural area so did it help ground you or what was life like growing up? Oh, you know what? I think so. I mean, you know, oftentimes when you, it takes moving out of your area to realize how special your area was to begin with. Mm. Um, and so, uh, you know, I grew up two hours from Yosemite National Park, which to me was like, eh, I mean, it wasn't really that big of a deal. And then you, you realize after you move out of that area, okay, that was actually pretty special or like 45 minutes from Sequoia National Park. I grew up, um, you know, where the giant Sequoia trees are. And, and to me, it was like, we're going to go up to the park. And I was, 
that was like, do we have to really? It's like the drive is terrible. Like, I don't care about the trees. I've seen them so much, uh, but you don't appreciate them until you actually leave the area and you realize, you know what? In my backyard was something pretty special and pretty significant. Was it okay? I want to grow up and I want to become a farmer or was it, I got to get the heck out of Dodge as quickly as possible. You know what? Most people in my town were like, I got to get the heck out of Dodge as quickly as possible. I was like, why? I don't what's so bad or so wrong about where we live. I think it's great. Um, uh, apparently, I had not traveled much. So, uh, <laughs> <there's that>. but, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> no, it, 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 it's funny because my first five movies, I ended up shooting in my hometown. Hmm. And um, where movies aren't shot. I mean, in fact, back when I shot my first film, the idea of anybody shooting a movie in, in my hometown of Isalia, California was like, wait, what? Like, that doesn't happen here. And so um, I was like, that's cool. Like, I'm the novelty. I'm literally the big fish in the small pond. And to me, that was like really quite, uh, I don't know, it was, it was, it was unique. Um, it wasn't until I got out of the area for about four or five years that I realized um, there was like a phrase uh, that people, oh, I never understood what it meant, but that people would kind of say whenever they came up to our area, which was, why does it smell so much? And I'm like, well, <laughs> people always think that it's like the smell of money. And I'm not really sure what that means. Uh, apparently what it meant was uh, the county I grew up in is the largest, it was the largest uh, a producer of, of dairy farms in the entire United States. <laughs> so there's this dairy okay. farm everywhere and it just always smelled like dairy farms. But I didn't know that. I mean, I had no idea. I was just like, that's just normal to me. I, I mean, this smells like air. But then uh, when you get out of that area and you come back, you realize, oh, yeah, there is a little bit of a whiff in the air. And it does smell kind of like dairy farms, but it doesn't bother me to this day. I still don't mind it. (laughs) I actually love that. I only spent two years on a farm and I had a pig farm down one way, a dairy farm down the other way. So no matter which way the wind blew, we were smelling something. You're smelling something. And it's like, you know what? It's okay. They're animals. No big deal. Do you want to become an actor? Or was it the dream I want to become a director or does one kind of lead into another? Oh, not at all. None of it uh, (laughs) at all. I mean, in fact, growing up, my dad, well, first of all, my dad was an agriculture teacher. So at a junior college um, uh, in my town. And so, um, you know, people knew who he was and it was just like, well, you're going to do something in agriculture. So my brother went to college and majored in ag education and, Mm. Like, man, I don't, I don't know if I want to do that. But so I was like, I was into golf. So I was an athlete in high school. So I was in four sports and I uh, was an athlete. So I was like, maybe I'll design golf courses. Cause that's kind of an agriculture sort of is. Um, and uh, so I thought about doing that for a bit and then realized that just sounded incredibly boring and <laughs> did that. And so uh, you didn't want to uh, go grass for a living. <laughs> I didn't want to go like yeah, deal with grass and maintain grass and, and so uh, I had to quickly come to, to the summation that um, I was not going to get paid for being an athlete because uh, it was it was time consuming in college. Uh, it's like you know, all, all, it's all he did, basically. And so got into drama because I started drama my senior year in high school and kind of loved it. Um, 
because uh, you got to kind of go up on stage and do plays and be a performer. And I was like, well, that's kind of fun. You get a grade for this. This is like the easiest A ever. And that was actually it. The fact that I saw it as an easy A uh, was what really drew me into it. And um, uh, so I did it again in college and I enjoyed it a lot. It was just like, uh, it was one of the, probably, uh, it was just the classes that I enjoyed the most were the, that theater. And, um, so after my first two years of college decided, you know what, I'm going to move to Los Angeles, which was a three hour drive South and, uh, just see if, um, I could be an actor. I don't know. I don't, I mean, do it in college. So it can't be that hard mm. and realized it's hard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, um, uh, you know, you had, you, I started to meet people. I started, uh, I met a good friend of mine at, at a church that I was going to there and, and he was an actor and we started figuring out how to act and kind of crash each other's auditions. Um, uh, his name was David A.R. White, who, um, uh, founded a company called Pure Flix, uh, a little bit later and whatnot. And he's done hundreds of films, but anyway, David and I did our first, I don't know, six movies together. Uh, just out of a love for wanting to act in our own movies. I and mean, that was really it, what drove it. And so we either wrote them or we hired a writer to write them. And uh, this is at a time when there is no faith-based or Christian-based movies anywhere um, back in the mid-90s. And um, uh, we just made some movies and, and shot them in my hometown because it was cheap. And, uh, um, you know, figure out how to raise small budgets from anywhere from like $50,000 to $200,000. And we weren't spending hardly any money. Uh, but the desire came from, we wanted to act and we just wanted to act in our own films and um, didn't realize that it would actually grow into like a career. Uh, had no idea actually it would grow into a career because at the time, you know, the thought process of producing movies that have faith elements in them was foreign. And like, you know, if you told that to people, it was like, you're crazy. Uh, although I did tell it to my wife's dad. Oh, uh, no. And he yeah, said, yes, you could marry her. <laughs> literally, no, that was the question. The question was like, how, how do you think as an actor, you're going to support my daughter? And at the time, that's all I was doing was acting. I wasn't even in school because I took a couple years off. And I'm like, you know, what I really want to do is I want to produce the movies that I act in. I hadn't produced one yet, but I said, I'm going to produce movies that have a Christian element and an angle to them and uh, put them out in theaters everywhere. I mean, I was making this stuff up left and right. And he like was like, yeah, OK, like I'm sure he told her, don't marry this. <laughs> you are completely out of your mind. Uh, but, uh, but I, that's what I, but I did it. I figured it out. You know, you figure it out, you figure out ways. And I, I, to me, I give the credit to God because I have no idea how any of this happened. I mean, I literally don't, <laughs> and I'm fortunate to be able to have, be, be, have been doing it for now 30 years and, um, have not done anything else other than this for 30 years. And it hasn't been easy at all. I mean, my goodness, it's like, it's, it's complicated. It's challenging. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I mean, to be honest, it, it's been what in the last 10 years of the 30 years that it's been somewhat acceptable in the world of Hollywood, which then makes it easier to go out and raise money and do it independently if you want. But before that, it wasn't. And so you had to convince people that what you were doing was a worthy cause. And sometimes people would look at you a little crazy, like this is never going to work. And sometimes people would be like, you know what, I'm in on that because it's just crazy enough 
that you might pull it off. And if you impact one person's life, then it was all worth it. And so when we, we found those people that wanted to partner up and come alongside us, then, and then that made the kind of, it kind of made the journey continue or it made the dream continue. And, um, and that was, that was some of the fun parts of it. But uh, you know, it's funny. It's, I always tell people you should find your passion and chase it. Go tell your own story. It's similar in making a movie, whether that's making movies or something else. I mean, my fallback, if this didn't work was I was going to be an athletics director at a high school or a college <laughs> to do with making movies. And so why? I don't know, but I never actually pursued it. And, uh, but, you know, you always kind of have to have a fallback plan, but, uh, but thankfully, you know, the more often I got punched in the face when this thing wasn't working, it just drove me to continue to try and figure it out and, and figure out a way to be able to make this path of making films that, that really showcase the power of the gospel and what it can do to impact people's lives, uh, a reality. And, um, and it, it's not easy. It wasn't easy. It still isn't easy. And if I had to do it again, I don't know if I would do it. <laughs> I mean, cause it is so hard, but, uh, but I'm thankful that God opened the doors and that I'm able to do what I do. Cause I know it's a gift and, and not many people are, are fortunate enough to be in the position that I'm in. I, I want to uh, expand on that because you had said over the last 10 years, you've definitely seen uh, it, it seems to be there's more of an explosion of, of faith-based films and they're becoming more acceptable. In the music industry, it's like secular uh, music was like, oh, there's actually a bunch of people who are listening to Christian music. We should start buying into record labels and record industries. And that's how Christian music seemed to explode. Do you see the same thing happening with regards to faith-based films? Because it seems like the budgets are getting bigger. The production and the value of it is getting bigger and more people are hearing about it. Well, yeah, look, it's all about in films. It's all about uh, if I were to advise somebody today that's starting out, it'd be like, find your story, go find your audience. I mean, you've got you literally nobody's going to gift you an opportunity to be able to find your audience. And so we had to do I had to do that. And we had to do that. When I say we, the Irwin brothers who have been my partners for 10 years, um, you know, we had to go and find our audience. It started with a movie called Mom's Night Out. Uh, that was a little comedy that we did uh, through Sony. You've seen it. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, oh. uh, and, and then, you know, after that, we did a movie called Woodlawn, which was <laughs> a football movie that uh, is one of my favorite films that I've made. Um, didn't quite do that great, but, uh, you know, it, it, it was a stepping stone. So each movie we did did a little bit better than the last one and the last one. And then, you know, finally we got to <clears throat> after Woodlawn and, to us, you know, we went out and raised the money for it. And, um, uh, you know, that, that, that opportunity didn't quite go so well for our investors. It was tough. And we thought, you know, maybe this is it. I mean, maybe we should quit and, and kind of go find something else to do. Cause it's just so hard to be able to do this, um, at a level where we want the production value to be able to, uh, compete with what Hollywood is kind of putting out there in other genres or other uh, avenues. And, um, uh, you know, was put this story in front of me called, I can only imagine. Um, and I thought, you know, there's something different about this story. And, and for whatever reason, it's the story wasn't going away. It continued to be kind of in my sphere. And after Woodlawn, I, you know, pitched it to John and Andy. I'm like, I think we should really take a look at this. And so we went and talked to Bart Millard from Mercy Me and, and John and Andy saw that story uh, right away. And, 
John and I just had a long talk, like, uh, you know, what should we do? Cause we were the story that we wanted to tell, we were getting turned down by studios. And it's like, if we're going to do it, we got to go raise the money for it, uh, for the production as well as probably raise the money for the marketing. Uh, but we did it at knowing that if this one doesn't work, uh, like we're done. I mean, it, there, there's probably not going to be another movie cause it's just too hard to be able to mm. do that. And, um, and all the way, I mean, I got to be honest. I mean, that journey with, I can only imagine from start to finish, uh, you know, it takes a while. It takes like 12 to 16 months to get a movie made and then released to theaters if you're on a fast track. And I can say that throughout the journey of making Imagine, John and I would have multiple phone calls where we're like, I, I don't know if I can finish this. Like, I don't, it's so hard, you know, it's so complicated. And, and it seems like every week there's a new challenge that kind of presents itself to be able to get this through. And we didn't have a studio kind of helping us or supporting us or any of that stuff. You're just totally on your own. Uh, but we did know back in our heart that, you know, there's a vision for this. And we saw some of our friends reaching a level of success um, with some of the stories that they were telling. And we're like, look, the audience is there. We've just got to find the movie and the story that resonates with us first and foremost. And we believe that there's an audience out there for it. And uh, we just had a hunch on Imagine. So, you know, we didn't know that Imagine would work. I mean, honestly, until about five days before the release. I mean, we were still somewhat in the dark. Um, mm. you know, Went out and shot it we we actually we marketed the movie ourselves ourselves nobody marketed it for us we did all the marketing grassroots and did it ourselves and um uh you know you're like doing interviews and you're meeting uh pastors all over the country and you're meeting people and you're just you're, you're sharing the vision and the story of the song that uh is capturing people's imagination i mean that movie is totally because the song is totally about a russia hope this russia hope that gives me everybody's got an imagined story basically and uh but then it caught fire i mean about five days before it opened we started to feel a little bit of heat i mean tickets tickets were going on sale and exhibitors were reporting to us that it was just off the charts and what was great about that moment in time was hollywood didn't see it coming hmm. and i mean in fact going up until about two days before the release, I think the trades had us opening somewhere between one and $2 million uh, just because, and the only reason why they reported it is because we were on, you know, enough screens to, that they had to report it. I mean, that was really it. And so when all of a sudden, three days later, we opened at $17.1 million. I mean, wow. was, who are these guys and where did they come from and how did this happen? And, um, and so, from that, I mean, it was, it was an experience that all three of us will never forget. I'll say, um, I, I, it's, it was one of the most beautiful experiences ever because you literally feel like the underdog in the moment. I mean, it's like, you know, going from nobody's ever heard of you to all of a sudden overnight, you are the largest independent movie released, uh, of the year. And one of the biggest success stories in independent film ever. I mean, it was unbelievable. And, um, and so we, uh, uh, from that moment, we realized, you know what, if God opened these doors, I don't think it's meant for us to sit back and wait and watch what happens. We actually have got to trust that God puts whatever relationships in front of us, uh, in the next couple of weeks, next couple of months and prayerfully walk through them and move fast. And, and 
definitely that happened and doors were opening left and right and studios were courting us wanting to make deals and all of this stuff <laughs> films and we decided that through relationship uh through a relationship we had uh we decided Lionsgate was a partner worth uh worth pursuing <clears throat> and they signed three of us to an overall deal where they pay for our overhead and development as well as the productions of the films um no commitment really other than like maybe two years so we knew we were going to get two more movies out of it. <clears throat> um, so that was cool. But, uh, you know, there's no guarantee of success, no guarantee of budgets being bigger per se or any of that stuff. Each movie you got to go into realizing that this could be the last movie that I ever make. Mm. And, and we have that going into it. I mean, if a movie bombs or doesn't do well, you know, you're starting over um, kind of back at square one and it could be the last movie you ever make. And especially the older you get, you realize how hard it is to do these things. It's so difficult. <laughs> Yeah. You gotta, am I am I sane? Do I have any level of sanity whatsoever? <laughs> I want to and go this in this terrible process all over again. Um and uh, you know, somehow I get a confirmation from God that the answer is yes. And you know, I started again, but uh, but again, no guarantees of success, no guarantees that budgets will continue to increase. I mean, it's just it's it is a miracle and it's a gift. And so uh, we signed that overall deal now four years ago and um, or three and a half years ago. And, uh, you know, our first movie out was called I Still Believe. Uh, it was Jeremy Camp's story. That was a movie a story that I brought uh, to the three of us. Uh, I'd known Jeremy for about 10 years and just really was passionate about his story and thought it was really significant. And, you know, it was tracking great. It's tracking like Imagine and it mm -hmm. opened night we're the number one movie in america friday night and then the movie theater shut down <laughs> covid oh man wait a minute wait wait and and literally by monday theaters were done and the movie which was a uh i don't know over 30 million dollar investment for lionsgate was 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 a, now a what was looking like a complete disaster mm. and you sit there and you go, man, it's too hard. I mean, I don't know if we're going to get to make any more films after. I mean, our here we get this great overall deal. And then the first movie out we think is fantastic. It's, it's scoring great with uh, test audiences and all this stuff. And then the rug just gets completely pulled out from underneath you. And and the the vision of America and the vision of audiences really around the world has changed overnight. Uh, no longer are we watching content in the theater because we're not allowed it's too scary and everything is kind of just changing in front of our eyes uh but you know over the course of the next three or four months from that moment instead of quitting and giving up and saying you know what we're done uh we realized that not only is the audience still there but they want and need our content now more than ever so we had to make some decisions what are we going to do to be able to make content in a time when uh it's so difficult physically to be make the content because you can't gather together mm -hmm. and a group of crew and filmmakers and cast to be able to come together to be able to make a movie but yet we're being told that we can't do that so how are you going to do that so that's an incredible challenge to figure that out and so uh one thing we decided to do was we'd go make a documentary so we made a documentary about the history of christian music uh called the jesus music and uh and so that came out in theaters just recently and it's coming out uh on home entertainment for dvd for christmas so that that's amazing that was literally a byproduct of the world shutting down no. and 
failure of that moment of, I still believe not working and, and not working out. And um, I mean, the film works because actually audiences have a lot of people have seen it. We haven't quite been able to track it, but it's been quite significant. But as far as in the history or, uh, or uh, of how movies typically work, it was just God just have a, had a different plan for it. And so instead of sitting back and waiting, which a lot of friends we knew kind of waited for it to kind of air out, we decided to go make a movie. Uh, but then on top of the documentary, we let about four months pass uh, from that moment in March. So I would say uh, in midsummer of last year, uh, John and I got together and we're like, you know what, let's just do something crazy and, and actually go shoot. And I'm like, how are we going to do that when it's we're <laughs> together? Like, this is nuts. And so we figured it out. I mean, it was literally like starting over in first grade. And having to figure out how to make a movie with an absolutely new set of rules kind of mm. presents you. And, um, and, and we're like, okay, you know what? I think we can do this. And we had Lionsgate support and help when we kind of pitched them what the movies were. They were sold on the stories. That wasn't the issue. But uh, they were also sold on the methodology of how we were going to figure this out and how to create these movies under the strict controls of what COVID and that environment was actually um, uh, what we understood it to be. And so we were the first production company, uh, um, first movie actually uh, in Lionsgate corporate <clears throat> to actually go out and shoot a movie in the pandemic. And it took, took six months, <laughs> believe it or not. So six months, no movies in Lionsgate were being made. We got one up and then decided to do another one. So we did two back to back uh, from October of last year until March of this year and just shot them um, and, and did all the, the COVID requirements and elements. And, and through it all, through those six months, we never had a shutdown. Absolutely amazing. And God literally guided our steps every step of the way. We had great teams. Our COVID team was amazing. Um, but the cast was amazing to be able to um, have the guts to step up and to want to participate in, in a time where everything is really unknown. Um, so I, I give hats off to them on both productions to, to be able to step into this and, um, and Lionsgate for being able to kind of see the future and see the vision that, you know what, we don't know what the future of releasing or distributing is going to be, but uh, we believe in you guys as filmmakers and we're going to step up and, and, and write the checks for these and go out and, and go do it. And so uh, we shot American Underdog, which comes out at Christmas um, in the midst of treacherous conditions, uh, not just the pandemic, but Oklahoma had a 100 year blizzard right in the middle of our, um, which which saw downtown Oklahoma City have uh, almost two feet of snow in about about three days. It was unbelievable. Um, <clears throat> and so we persevered through that uh cold weather and whatnot and then and shot another one another movie called the unbreakable boy which were released in theaters uh march 18th and um incredible i mean i you i look back and i go i don't even know how we did that in the midst of it all when most everybody you know is at home and people are not even going to the grocery store but they're having to you know figure out these apps on their phone to get food delivered to them and whatnot and yet we're out there, you know, shooting movies and putting people to work, which is something that I really believed in as well. It was like, look, I mean, God put this opportunity in front of us to be able to not just tell stories, but also put people to work. And so I think through our films, we put over a thousand people to work, those two films, those two productions, um, which I'm proud of. I mean, because people needed jobs. They needed they needed a, a way with the skill set that they had to be able to feed their families and those movies that in the short term and so 
Um, and now we're at the end of the process where now the movies are going to be released Christmas Day, American Underdog, March 18th for Unbreakable Boy. And the movies turned out fantastic. And I can't wait for people to see them. I mean, the making of the movies themselves are a product of perseverance and not giving up and not quitting. Um, even though we had every excuse and every right to just say, you know what, we're done. I'm going to call it quits. <laughs> just, like we had our success, but I can only imagine we're totally done. Um, but uh, God had other plans. And so proud of the movies, proud of the crew that, that put them together. And, you know, there might be more after that, which is unbelievable. We're, we're in uh, development and pre-production on a couple of films that we might shoot uh, in the spring of next year. So. Well, I, I definitely hope so, because I've enjoyed pretty much every movie that you've said so far. Actually, I don't think there's one that I haven't missed. And I've really loved them all. So I know I'm kind of like, I like movies. But what I love about your stories, yes, there's the professional side. Yes, there's the actual making of the movie side. Um, but then there's your spiritual side. So as we wrap things up, I we have to ask you, kind of reflecting over your life, over your career, were there any why me moments that really stand out to you? Yeah, I mean, throughout the entire uh you know, journey of, of figuring out, you know, um, this is what I want to do. I mean, the, the first movie that I ever was cast in was a Christian movie. Basically it was an open cattle call that, that myself and, and David White, we saw, uh, kind of a notice in a, in a trade a newspaper. Um, but it, the fact that it was at a Christian college, we were like, well, maybe this is like a Christian thing. Um, uh, and maybe we should go check that out. And, and, and so we did, and there were like 200 kids that looked like us and it was just a cattle call. And the two of us got cast as the leads in this movie, this Christian based movie for an organization called youth for Christ, uh, back in 1994 and a total God moment. And it was because of that movie that, uh, at that moment, I realized while we were making it, um, Actually, while we were making, I wasn't sure what I was doing, to be honest, because the, the, the script was not totally put together and we were trying to struggle through it. But it was when the movie premiered, which was about four months after we made it um, at the Anaheim Convention Center for about 8000 kids from around the country, watched this 30 minute film um, about what Jesus did for them on the cross. And and uh, I, literally you could hear teenagers sniffling and crying in the audience and huge applause. And they asked us if we would uh, kind of, uh, you know, stand in a booth and, and meet kids. Uh, and I'm like, sure. And so we stood in a booth next to some Christian music acts that were popular for about four hours after that screening. And I had kids come up to me who never met me before, but because they saw me for 30 minutes, you know, on a screen in a big convention center, all of a sudden tell me their life story uh, time after time after time. And, and some of them in tears, literally, and that, that we encouraged them to go home and make certain switches or certain changes in their life, whether it was a family dynamic or something else. And I realized at that moment, I'm like, you know what, doing McDonald's commercials, isn't going to get me that. And mm -hmm. so that's what I want to do with my life. And so, uh, as you go through the process of making films, the first film, the second film, the third film, and then you hear these stories of people being transformed. You know, you sit back and you wonder, you know, why me, God? Like, why me in this moment? Uh, why is it that you chose me to be in this moment, to have this opportunity to be able to impact people? It's very sobering. 
I mean, the letters that we've got now in the age of social media, you know, you get pictures of, of people, especially with, I can only imagine. I mean, I have pictures of people who their, their last uh, wish was to be able to watch. I can only imagine before they died and, and, and they're watching it with family members and family members saying, thank you so much for that precious. I mean, I have so many of those. Oh my goodness. Uh, even people that are close to me that, that had it, um, their last wish was that, and it was the last thing that they actually did uh, because they wanted to feel encouraged and they wanted to feel this rush of hope before they died mm. because they a savior that saved them. And that's what that song was. And when you, when you hear those stories and how sobering they, they are, you literally you sit there and you go, why me, God? Like, why, why do you put me in this situation to have such an impact? And it's very, it feels like a lot. There's like a heavy weight there um, uh, for it. And it's honestly what keeps, you know, it's what keeps me going because when things get really hard, you go back to that, that critical point of, of why God puts you in this certain situation and why he's continued to provide for you and, and give you the sustenance to be, to be able to persevere and to move on to that next step in the journey. So coming to a theater near you uh, around Christmas, American underdog dot movie. Kevin, my friend, we appreciate you taking some time sharing your heart and uh, telling your story. Hey, thanks so much, guys. Don't be too cold. <laughs> <laughs> too late. <laughs>